Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a new episode of our Ecom show. And today I'm here with one of the co-founders of a San Diego-based clothing company, Freedom Rave Wear, Mike Hodgen. And uh, I'm very happy to have you here. How are you? I'm doing well, Daniel. Thanks. I'm happy to be here and uh, looking forward to chatting. So this company is uh, almost 10 years old now. And... Uh, I guess back then, you know, e-commerce was much smaller than nowadays. So in this niche, and you have a specific niche, so mostly festival clothing um, and in, in the US. So it's a very specific niche. I guess back then it was even much smaller niche online. So you were, you were one of the early guys, right, in this niche back then online. Yeah, I think so. There's, you know, certainly a lot of interest in the festival space beyond just um, you know, the e-commerce, like apparel side of things in general, it's become very popular, but as far as the, you know, pioneers trying to figure out good ways to connect with people using, you know, Shopify or other marketing tools over the last 10 years, we have done our best to, you know, pioneer in our own way and innovate. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, did you start in, uh, did you start on Shopify back then or, or something else? We started originally with um, our online presence started with Etsy and okay. we were simultaneously setting up vendor booths at some of the biggest festivals across the country. So things like Electric Daisy Carnival, mm -hmm. uh, Paradiso, Imagine Music Festival. We were traveling all across the country and doing the in-person stuff. And we were trying to figure out the e-commerce situation and learn because we had no prior experience. And pretty quickly on Etsy, we realized that it was going to be best for us to just build and you know cultivate our own following on our own website. So that's when we switched to Shopify. And that was in 2000 and um, the beginning of 2015. Yeah. So I talked to a few Etsy, you know, store owners and, what I can see is that it's a great start, but if you really want to scale, it's not the best platform. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I completely agree. I think Etsy is awesome when you don't have as much of a, or as deep of a marketing understanding mm -hmm. because they can really automate some of the, you know, ad delivery. You don't need to take as much time being strategic about how you're going to set things up. And there's already obviously a lot of traffic on the website. So depending on which products you're looking to sell, it can be really lucrative as a one, two, three person shop. And, you know, maybe, you know, get up to, you know, half a half a million dollars in sales if you're mm -hmm. really doing it well. Um, obviously, there's plenty of people that crush it on Etsy. But I think in general, there starts to be a, you know, an evaluation between the pros and cons of continuing to develop that channel versus having 
your own customer data to be able to you know leverage through Clavio or some other marketing channel and you know start to build your brand that way. So I love Etsy. I have a big you know space in my heart for it, but it's you know time and a place for certain brands, and I think it's a phenomenal platform for a lot of small creators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So almost 10 years online and, and on Shopify, right? So share us more about your story. Like how, how did you spend these years and what were the main struggles, the biggest wins, um, what marketing channels you used? So tell us more. Yeah, I think, you know, the story of freedom is really around, you know, my co-founders now wife, but, um, you know, Alyssa and I started the company we were dating and we went to a music festival together. The experience was transformational, just like it is for so many who are mm -hmm. looking to find some purpose or belonging. And I think for us being at our first big show, you know, 50,000 people, I didn't realize that music festivals were even at that scale. And I remember mm -hmm. looking around the crowd and just feeling really connected to and being attracted to the festival lifestyle. I had just um, left college. I was a senior and, um, you know, I, I did bioengineering and biochemistry, uh, switched to international studies. I just hopped through all different types of coursework and never really found anything that like pulled me the same way that music festivals did. Um, I went. I went to school in in New York as well, and that culture of the club life really just it lit me up. And I remember going into the city and just being so passionate about learning who's going to be playing. You know, seeing you know Avicii or Skrillex or you know these names that you know back then it was you know they were like opening for people. You know, and then obviously mm -hmm. over the last ten years of you know, so many different artists have come onto the scene. Like, so, so freedom ultimately before the e-commerce and the marketing aspect, it really was just passion about the space and that raw unbridled, just relentless passion for electronic dance music made it so that we had the energy to learn about Shopify and to learn about which marketing channels we're going to crush, which ones were worth our time and investment and, how we could connect other passionate music lovers to the fashion that we also fell in love with and that feeling of freedom and expression. So that's a, my preamble to answering the question for marketing, just we are extraordinarily passionate about what we do. And we've mm -hmm. woken up for the last 10 years, stoked to every day, just figure out what is the new technique to be able to develop a super seamless experience for our customers. So as far as the products that really are the, you know, marketing channels that did well for us in the beginning, um, you know, we did a lot, this is, you know, Instagram before a couple of, you know, the, the algorithm had changed, but there was a lot of outbound, you know, responding to every single comment, you know, we, we give this pitch like, Hey, if you want to you know, try one of our products, if you don't love it, we'll give you your money back. That, person-to-person, -person, individual, just grunt work was how we established the core base of our community. And at that point, we then could start to use things like spending on advertising or, you know, doing some Instagram ads. I think it was important for us to establish the one-to-one -one communication in the business because 
if we didn't actually know what our customers wanted, then we would just be kind of guessing at how to deliver and serve them. So Instagram ads were huge for us in the beginning. They still are to this day, but it helped us, it helped us, you know, break through. I think there's also one other thing to note that's really important because we were, like I mentioned, we did um, the vendor tour. We were doing uh, music festivals every weekend for two years, uh, you know, 50 plus music festivals. We saved up and, you know, bought a trailer. We bought a truck. You know, Alyssa was sewing products and learning how to sew and do product design. She was, um, you know, she got her degree in chemistry. So this is not something that she had any formal training for. And that just grit of, you know, figuring out how to deliver and make a product and then seeing it at the next festival that following weekend, like, hey, here's our new product. We just got really quick feedback iteration that we could then deploy at the next festival. And it was that insight, the quick feed product feedback from mm -hmm. in-person events that then led us to what is our strategy today on marketing, where what really differentiates us is we produce and manufacture all of our products. Um, yeah. There are certain accessories that we you know, bring in from overseas. However, we have 4,500 SKUs at any given time on our website that we have um, all of the cut and sew, the dye sublimation, the heat press, and the product fulfillment from our facility in San Diego. There's 100 to 300 new SKUs every single week. Uh, we have a collection dropping in about uh, 14 minutes. And it is relentless. And we've done this for the last three years, even through COVID, releasing new collections, new collections, new collections. And I think that DNA of a lot of testing now it started because of all the in-person festivals and it's been the quintessential ingredient to our success is that we have new products all the time makes marketing so much easier to talk about and to you know connect the loop back to our customers so um those are the things that come to mind but i could speak to you know ambassador channels or anything else what yeah, yeah. <clears throat> i'm having a lot of questions don't worry so um, but very interesting because it sounds like it's a, it's a fast fashion thing. I, I thought that uh, actually it's a kind of slow fashion, you know, because uh, it's it's not a it's not a streetwear or some huge, you know, very mainstream thing. It's a, it's a more niche thing. And uh, so you said forty five hundred SKUs now in the store. And uh, how frequently do you come up with new lines, new products? Uh, every week, there's another hundred wow. SKUs. Yeah, so we, you know, we prefer the the term smart fashion because mm -hmm. from our end, we're using some of the best and and you know, from what I've tested, the the best inventory planning software to leverage the you know both the Google Analytics traffic that's coming into a website, monitoring the conversion rate on particular web pages, and then forecasting out how many of a particular product or product type are going to be sold over a given period. And because we are able to produce our products so quickly in-house with everything vertically integrated, there is an extraordinarily quick feedback loop for us to see what is going to crush mm -hmm. and what is not. So I'll give you an example. Today, when we drop our collection, uh, you know, in, in a few minutes, there's going to be you know, out of the, this is actually going to be the biggest collection we've ever dropped. So I believe there's 400 or 450 SKUs in this one. But from that, there's going to be roughly 45, 50 SKUs that are going to absolutely dominate in terms of what it is people are purchasing. We're going to have that feedback 
reliably within the first two or three hours, they will start printing the replacement fabric for our initial batch manufacturing run, uh, probably by about four or five o'clock today. The material will be ready to be heat pressed tomorrow morning and it will be finished laser cutting by the end of the day. It will be sewn and um, we're going to be going into the weekend. So it'll be sewn and completed by Monday with the second round of orders being shipped on Tuesday. So we'll already have be able to fulfill all the products that are fulfilled or that are ordered from now until Tuesday. But we will have all of the insights to make sure that we don't run out of stock of the best sellers. And the things that don't do that well, we just don't make any more. We never made a lot of it to begin with. And our inventory turn is extraordinarily efficient. So it's a combination of, like I said, smart fashion, just using some data analytics to leverage the consumer insight and never overbuy any inventory because we have the raw material, which is, you know, 50 yards of um, 50 yards of fabric, you know, mm -hmm. that comes from, you know, five, five and a half feet wide, and that can be con converted into anything. So whether it's a bodysuit or a top or, you know, a high waist thong, um, you know, sleeves, anything like that. Yeah. That's amazing. Very, very fast, uh, you know, feedback loops and, uh, yeah, that's fascinating. And was it like this from day one or, uh, over the years you came up with this vertical integration? Yeah, it was definitely not like this from day one. Day one was, you know, us sitting in a hot one-bedroom apartment trying to figure out how to cut things by hand, and uh, mm. and, and so. But you still made well. the products yourself, or or together um, from day one, or or it came from you know overseas or whatever. No, we made the products ourselves from day one. There was a period. Uh, so once we started to. to um, you know, 2017 was a, it was an important year for us because there was a conference that we went to that um, mm -hmm. maybe some of your listeners have been been to in the apparel space, but it's called Magic. It's in Las Vegas, mm -hmm. and at that location, they had brought in what is termed a micro factory, and it's just a you know small footprint um, from design to uh, production and fulfillment. A factory floor that you might see overseas in an iteration that contains, you know, 300 sewing machines in one, you know, large warehouse. But this was the smallest version of that with like six sewing machines. And when we saw how efficient you could go from a digital design into the uh, sublimation of the fabric into the cut of the fabric, and then have that automatically go to, you know, the correct um, sewing machine operator, it was this aha moment in 2017 that was, this is the future of regional manufacturing. It is extraordinarily efficient. There is next to no waste relative to what you, you know, what could be consumed. There are still little pieces of fabric that don't, that aren't large enough to be used. So, but it, you know, dramatically reduces the overall waste uh, compared to other methods of production. And, it was that moment where we saw that, that it became, that's our goal. We had no financial means to, you know, accumulate the machinery. Uh, to this day, we are still fully bootstrapped. Uh, there's really just been a lot of, you know, reinvestment in the business over the years. And taking the, taking the micro factory from a concept in our mind into the business strategy and execution of how do we get that machine 
that you know how do we get the first machine which is a laser cutter a hundred thousand dollar laser cutter that we brought in we had to get the the space so we had to find a warehouse for it and it was this careful methodic execution of the manufacturing that went alongside us also understanding our customers and being like okay well how can we how can we give them the products that are going to set us apart from our competitors in the space because up until that point without our own printers we were purchasing rolls of fabric and converting them, but that fabric could be purchased by anybody else. Somebody else yeah. you know, wants to, you know, start an apparel brand could have a, you know, a, a nice eye for the style and they could go in. And even if we tried to get it right when it came off the boat and it was, this is going to be the hot stuff within a matter of months, you know, a year, a competitor or somebody else is going to, you know, gravitate towards that, especially if they see that it's successful on our page. And we really didn't like that feeling of, having to try to be ahead of some inevitable curve. Like some, it felt like we were being chased in a lot of ways and we didn't yeah. want to be chased. We just wanted to do our own thing. Getting the digital printers fundamentally changed our approach because it gave us the opportunity to, with our own exclusive designs, with our own in-house graphic designers, produce products. If you go to our website, right, freedomravewear.com, you will see products that you do not see anywhere else. And that's because they're the designs that we've produced. And it's not something that you're going to find anywhere else. And that helped us establish a very unique brand that then when people go to a festival, they, they'll know in the crowd, like, that's freedom. And I think that's really important if you're trying to be successful in building a brand that has, you know, extraordinarily high uh, brand affinity where people talk about your brand. They love the product. They love the experience. We need to differentiate in a way that truly is differentiated. So we make all of the products and we make them where no one else can copy it. And if someone does copy it, you know, there's going to be some sort of recourse for us. You know, we'll send a cease and desist or something like that. If, if somebody's ripped off the, uh, the actual graphic design. So, yeah, I think uh, if you, you know, if you manufacture the product from from the very ba basics and you vertically integrate in your industry, that's it makes your job so much easier to build a brand and differentiate yourself from your competitors. Because especially nowadays or even a few years ago, you know, in the era of drop shipping, everyone drop ship from China, cheap products. And I think it was really about who is a good sales guy. But uh, if you manufacture your products, and uh, that, then it's just so much easier to build a brand and you can really stand out because it's, it's really something unique that you created. So I, yeah. I did like that you reinvested into production and, and you said the laser cutter, that was the first one. Yeah, laser cutter was first because it was the bottleneck, right? Business development is just a series of chasing bottlenecks and expanding them to, to find out where the next bottleneck is. Our bottleneck um, that would get us back the most time because it, you know at this moment we didn't have any additional employees. Uh, it was to no longer have to cut. Well, if we can, mm -hmm. we can increase the cutting capacity, we can sew more. We then hired our first sewing machine operator um, and there, he's actually still with us. It's a, um, and his wife. Uh, so they've been with us for, you know, uh, seven, eight years now. Mm -hmm. But it, I think it's also important, like, like you said, like, if you are trying to build, if you're trying to make money, do not do the path that I have, that I have traveled. 
you will burn out without the combination of passion for the lifestyle mm -hmm. brand you've created. There is no shortcut to being successful in building a brand that people love. And I, if you go to our Instagram page or our TikTok and you just go to the tagged post, I mean, we're getting, you know, 50, 100 tags of user generated content every single day. People love what we do. And that's not because we shortcutted the product development. It's not because yeah. we're making it hard for them to get their money back. We're not making it challenging yeah. for them to have an exceptional experience. And if your focus isn't purely on the customer experience and the product development, then all of the fad-driven e-commerce hype cycles are, those are perfectly fine if you want to go in and see a $100,000 month once, twice, four times, yeah, then yeah. acquisition costs rise through the roof. But if you actually want to build a brand where you can generate $500,000 a month in revenue consistently and go beyond that, it is a slow, methodical work in process. And you really have to love that. And I think that's why, you know, I wake up happy every day is because we are doing what we want and mm -hmm. the alignment between what we do and how we do it meaning the way we the way we build our team the way we communicate with customers is so spot on and yeah i mean it's 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 exceptional so i think for any you know people that would be listening find the thing that you i mean we're all going to die find the thing that you want to do and then relentlessly pursue it do not chase a hype cycle it's too challenging in my opinion to be successful long term in any of those scenarios yeah and actually, that's even more tiring in the long run because yeah, you just sure. hop on the new train all the time and you get exhausted, you get burned out. You make some money, you spend it, you hop on the next one. So, yeah, I know a few stories like that. Um, <laughs> let me flip the script, on, uh, the flip, flip this passion thing a bit because um, have you never felt that it's, it's an obstacle? Because I think it can be. You know, I can see guys being a bit too naive about business, about numbers, because of because their business is their passion, their love project, you know. And they, uh, they think that they tend to think that everyone loves what they love. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think th there's certainly the risk of having, I, I think to some extent, all entrepreneurship and starting needs to be started on the seed of some delusion of grandeur. You need yeah. to believe that there is the capacity to execute a vision that you might be the only person who can see. You know, I think to my early mm -hmm. days where, you know, family members, friends, people who are the closest to me thought that me starting a festival brand was, you know, shall I say naive and dumb. Mm -hmm. And in the short term, they were accurate in, in that they didn't understand, they didn't understand the passion that was behind it. My, my, you know, uh, my college years were <laughs> scraping every dollar I could or showing up early to the shows so I could get in for free. That's mm -hmm. the, you know, guest list stuff, right? In New York City, yeah. you get there at 10, you're going to get in there before 10. It's for free. So, uh, you know, stay there till five in the morning, have a great time. Um, the, so the passion, even though it wasn't necessarily entirely apparent to me uh, when it was occurring, it's the, the behavior is certainly verifiable. And I think the behavior being verifiable 
helps reinforce the potential for a positive outcome. But it does not guarantee it because you still need to execute strategically well over an extended period of time, hiring, knowing who's, you know, a cancer, who's, you know, to the team, who's going to be a net positive and really understanding the business development uh, mm -hmm. is, you know, it takes time. But to your point, there, there is a moment where you can no longer be purely fueled by the delusion of grandeur. And mm -hmm. I think it's best to get off of that early because you, if you don't know your business's numbers, then you don't know your business. And for us, you know, we're on our third year of triple digit growth year over year, obviously coming out of the pandemic, it's easy to do, but this is in reference to pre-pandemic -pre levels. So we are absolutely crushing it, but we're absolutely crushing it because we've done all of the things necessary, in my opinion, to check the boxes from both our core values, which is you know making uh, expressive clothing, uh, to be able to build confidence, so that individuals can understand when they go to a show and they do what they want. You know, we say "be you, be free." You're developing a sense of confidence that is like this. Uh, shield for you when you go through life, whether it's in a work setting or a festival setting or in personal relationships, you need to build up that confidence. So expression is one, confidence is two. And if you do develop confidence over time, you're able to tap into something that is akin to self-love, but it can also just be love in general or gratitude for the things around you because you're confident in what you have that regardless of the external circumstance, you know, internally things are good and, and, you know, being yeah. on, a, on a rock floating through space at, you know, however many thousands of miles an hour, it is a blessing to even be alive and having this conversation with you. So I'm fundamentally grateful for that. And I remind myself of it all the time. Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. The fourth piece is community. And if you're able to express yourself over time, you develop confidence, develop confidence over time, you learn to love yourself. When you learn to love yourself, I believe it is incumbent upon the individual to take a moment to look around to those around them and start building community, start helping fostering the relationships that enrich all of our lives. And so that as being the ethos of the brand in which our products are helping achieve people develop through that process. And we create content to support their you know, interests in fashion or their ability to generate better product photos for um, you know, brands that they want to work with if they see themselves as content creators. You know, we want to embolden our customers through the products to be able to achieve the best version of themselves. This brand has done that for myself. It's done it for Alyssa. It's done it for our team. We have 24 team members now. Um, it, there is a pure passion play that I think can break past any of the doubters on delusional and you check the box, eco-friendly, micro factory, regional production, you know, generating true and authentic relationships, responding to every customer, making sure the DMs are handled. You know, our average customer support ticket response time right now is four minutes. You know, we, and that's any day of the week, like, Across the board, our fulfillment time is uh, 0.9 days now from the time that an order is placed, the time it is fulfilled, to the time it gets delivered to their door on average across the business is 3.9 days. That's 
exceptional for the way that we've built the business. There is no shortcut to how hard it is to actually execute all of those little pieces though. Yeah. 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 It sounds like execution is, is the key here, right? Not just talking about your passion, but execution. I mean, you mentioned much more things. Now I won't repeat all of that. But yeah, execution and having the having your checklist with tangible, actionable things that uh, that you will implement, and of course, it takes time. Yeah. So, for yeah. the girl, for the lady that you mentioned before, where you know maybe they think that their product is is great, um, building the relationship with the customers to be able to get that feedback. You know, we have private um, groups. We use the Flare app for a community-led group. I highly recommend it for any any brand owners out there that want to build and cultivate um, more authentic relationships on a like one-to-one messaging basis. We prefer that over Facebook groups. Um, but anyway, so the Flare app has been phenomenal. How does it work? So our yeah. Flare app is a community of our brand ambassadors the ones who want to join and will so it's just direct it's just like a messaging app you know mm-hmm. um, we can drop polls in there we can take photos of our newest product collections that we're going to be releasing like let's say we have um, six colorways that we want to uh, show to the uh, flare group maybe they vote on the three that they like the most and that's mm-hmm. kind of like our initial round of tests so we're kind of removing the potential for making the wrong choice on production it before we go to you know uh, an instagram poll or something like that and then we take those insights to then you know produce the product and release it they're talking about meeting up at music festivals so they're constant there's festivals every weekend all across the country so it's an opportunity for this group of um, really loyal freedom raveware ambassadors to create a authentic relationship with other people and they can, you know, they'll meet up and share a hotel room. They'll go to, you know, EDC Orlando and they become, you know, friends and friends for years. Like it is Mm -hmm. cultivating an actual community that, you know, supports the brand. You you can't, again, you can't shortcut these things to have. You cannot fake a community. (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Let's talk about uh, lifetime value of customers, customer retention. You mentioned Clavio, mm-hmm. and as you know, our agency, we focus on these topics. So I wonder what's your approach there, what tools you use, um, but how you, how you see the importance of retention, lifetime value for your business? Yeah, uh, so lifetime value, um, the retention or the repeat purchase rate, the average order value and the traffic web web traffic sessions are the most important metrics you monitor on a daily basis. Did I say conversion rate? Make sure conversion rates in that one too. Uh, and you know, sort of like levers that you pull um, to to optimize yeah. that performance. And not just one lever, but all of them. Yeah, all of them, and then simultaneously pulling a few other levers that are you know Snapchat ads or TikTok yeah. ads or uh, Pinterest ads. Um, you know, so it's that combination of the omni-channel approach that leverages both both the internal brand lists through Clavio. We we also use Clavio SMS now. We used to use Postscript. Mm-hmm. Um, we found the combination of both Clavio email and SMS inside of one platform has been mm-hmm. very seamless for us. Do you have you had similar experience? Uh, it really depends. I would, yeah, nowadays, yes. Um, like one, two years ago, if you ask me, I would say Postscript or Recard. 
now yeah sms is getting better and better in clavio but it depends so with other stores we use ricard we mm -hmm. also like them they are just rolling out an ai feature ai writes the copy for you and many many dozens of versions if you want yeah so interesting and uh yeah but in on the sms field there is a big competition and uh, honestly i cannot see as much difference between the platforms as with email for example so if you compare MailChimp with Clavio, it's two different words. Clavio, PostScript, less. So yeah, so yeah. yeah, I agree. It feels um, it feels like it's been commoditized in in, in that mm -hmm. sense. You know, the the yeah. core functionality it seems is now switching towards more commerce centric execution through product mm -hmm. catalogs that are being pushed through. Yeah. You know, one click buys and things like that. Uh, so I, I see that transition occurring in the SMS space. I, I also think that, um, you know, PostScript is a phenomenally well-run company. And I know mm -hmm. that they just acquired, um, they just acquired another business. Um, they and, acquired someone. Yeah. 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 I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. It was, um, oh man, it's the cash, it's this cash back, um, the cashback app where you get like cashback uh fondue fondue is the company yeah so you know that kind of dictates the path that they are looking to go on and which is interesting you know away from discount yeah. codes and, and towards cash back rather than just initially offering discounts mm -hmm. but i think there's a lot of fun things you can do anyway in terms of a b testing the you know only showing a discount to new customers and then having that flow be optimized so um but yeah, yeah. So I, I guess from the, from the marketing stack and the lifetime value for us, because we are constantly adding new products, our lifetime value is relatively. I mean, it's 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 always increasing in the sense that not only do we have a high repurchase rate, um, on the order of I think it's like sixty two percent right now. So for us, it's high. I'm not sure relative to another brand. You mean the customer retention rate? Yes. 62%. Okay. That's very high. Yeah. 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 And then, um, you know, we, we have obviously like new customers always coming back, but I think because we have, or new customers always coming in, I think because we have so many new products, it makes it a lot easier for us to have a high, um, you know, retention. People are going to buy more if you have more products to offer them. Yeah. 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 And obviously if you give them a good experience. Actually, so we have uh, clients and we work on their lifetime value, retention, email, SMS, all of these. But one thing that we cannot control and I'm thinking about how we could control it better is uh, helping our clients adding more products to their store. Because yes. if they have only one, three, five products, it's very hard to retain customers. Yes. Maybe if it's a supplement, it's easier because they buy it again and again. But it's usually not the case. So... So yeah, um, new products, that's that's a crucial thing. And it's not really marketing, it's product development. And I think stores, they don't focus on this enough, at least small businesses, but they yes. should. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, as far as, a, a spend, you know, for us right now, our spend, 4% 4, 4 of our um, revenue goes towards uh, ad spend. We, mm -hmm. do not, we do not spend a lot of money on ads. Um, yeah, 4% is... I know business is 20% or more. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. And, and it's, and it's been, it's been higher at times in the past, right? We've, we've uh, experimented with different methods. However, the current tech stack combination we have that is really focused on driving user generated content. Uh, we use both the loud crowd app and bounty, uh, which mm -hmm. I can't speak highly enough of our recent experience with bounty as well. Um, loud mm -hmm. crowd also been great, but in generating user er, in creating user generated content that is functionally ready out of the box to go straight into an ad. So not only are we product testing with 100, you know, 200, 300 different SKUs every week, I mentioned all of that UGC that's coming through. You know, Every seven days, we'll look at the best performing UGC. We'll go ahead and put that into a new ad set, run that, the one that is you know, the, the top two or three, those stay. If they beat the ones from the previous week or the, you know, whichever ones had sort of been the incumbent ads, those get replaced. And it's this constant refueling of the machine, which helps us generate, um, you know, typically we're seeing anywhere from like 10 to 15 X ROAS on our Facebook ads or, you know, or meta ads, Instagram. Um, you know, I know we could spend more, but there, there seems to be this almost glass ceiling to the festival space where, you know, we haven't necessarily crossed the chasm as it, you know, so mm -hmm. to speak. Yeah. Able to like really reach, for example, people going to Glastonbury Festival or, you know, a global audience of people who aren't purely wearing really bright, colorful clothes, which we will get to them eventually, but we have to develop products for them first. Uh, that that optimization of the ad spend is only possible because we've invested heavily in the user generated content side and have that mechanism for your clients that you're referring to where. I almost feel like it's a disadvantage for an agency to work with a business that, you know, my first question, if I was an agency owner is how many products do you plan to release this year? <laughs> because yeah, yeah, yeah. I can help you sell some stuff, but your acquisition cost is going to keep climbing. If you don't have a relentless pursuit of the uh, product development, it mm -hmm. makes it so much easier. I mean, Daniel, can you imagine if you had a hundred new product photo to, product photos every week to choose from to throw into ads? For yeah, yeah, yeah. It totally changes the dynamic. It's a volume play, and that's it. Yeah, that's very interesting. Because if you just run the old products, you saturate your own market, right? So even if you don't have competitors, but you have, so so yeah. Yeah. Now um, buying new products without the appropriate inventory planning insight can, you know, we're vertically integrated and the manufacturer. So it's easier for us to do. Yeah. Uh, you make the wrong decision on a, you know, $100,000 purchase order, then all of a sudden you've really made a mistake. So mm -hmm. I speak from a position of privilege in our manufacturing capacity, but I think that many e-commerce businesses and certainly domestic apparel businesses should look into the micro factory setup um, mm -hmm. So, you know, shoot me a message on LinkedIn if you want to learn more about it. But there are certain machines that can dramatically improve and it doesn't need to replace your existing supply chain. It can support that supply chain and become the testing mechanism in-house. And whether you, you know, located in California, which I think most people would agree, California is an extraordinarily difficult place to run a business, let alone a manufacturing e apparel business. And we are located on some of the most expensive, you know, per square foot land in the country, still managing to make it work. So if you were to put some facility like this in Texas or Florida or Oklahoma or in another place, you might have some labor questions about skilled um, sewing machine operators. But it is it is possible to do this, and mm -hmm. I think 
part of our mission on the sustainability side, which we haven't really spoken much of, that all of our products are printed on recycled um, their fabric from recycled water bottles. The ability to implement that and integrate it into another business is it's there. You can do these things with relatively low like capital investment. That's great. So yeah, these are the closing thoughts for today. And uh, Mike offered uh, his LinkedIn. So we will put these links into the description. Uh, his business as well, the, the link freedomraveware.com and uh, his LinkedIn. And uh, thanks, Mike, for coming here today, sharing your story and all of these, you know, not just tips, but your mindset about about your business. And I think many, many entrepreneurs, not just in the upper range, they can learn from you. And um, to the audience, so thanks for listening uh, to us today. Stay tuned. Every week we come out with two new episodes. And besides these links, I will also put a uh, link of a 50-point checklist that you can use to audit your own email marketing. So go there. It's completely free to download. Thanks again, everyone. And have a great day. Thanks, Daniel.